Greetings and welcome to episode 16 of the Harmonics Community Podcast. HMX Pope's coming at you with another episode of So You Want to Be a Game Developer. He's interviewing Jim Topol from our hardware department. Jim used to work at NASA, so this interview is going to be out of this world. Oh yeah. Harmonics alum Vang returns to the podcast this week. We've got an awesome preview of his interview with upcoming RBN band Skeleton Witch. Bang caught up with them at the New England Metal Fest and talked to the guys about everything from playing rock band for the first time to their Ohio roots. HMX Pope, Rimsey, and Casey give a full roundup of what went on at the Independent Film Festival here in Boston. Of course, we wrap everything up with a Cinco de Mayo edition of the DLC Roundtable. So you want to be a game developer. Yeah, so this is another installment of that segment. And today we have someone from our hardware department, Jim Topol. Hello, Jim. Hi, Pope. So what did you do before you came to work at Harmonix? Um, completely typical entrance into the video game design uh, you know, industry. Um, my title uh, was the lead thermal protection engineer for Orbiter Endeavor um, at Kennedy Space Center. That's nuts. Actually. Actually. So Boeing, right? And working yes. with NASA. Yeah, it's kind of uh, this weird subcontractor thing they go on, they got going on. You know, Rockwell back in the 60s, well, 70s um, primarily, uh, was contracted to build and design, well, design and build, um, correct order, uh, <laughs> um, the, the space shuttle uh, for NASA. And then through various corporate acquisitions, Rockwell became the Boeing multi-billion dollar conglomerate that we know today. And uh, they had us there kind of on site making sure that the design that the, and the vehicle that they made for NASA was you know, constantly able to fly and on time and, and safely. Wow, and your daily duties there were what? Um, basically, I spent about half of the day crawling over scaffolding on top of the, the shuttle itself. Um, poking things, prodding things. It's really something. It is terribly scientific. It isn't just poking <laughs> and prodding things, although sometimes it is. Um, you know, making sure that the things on the outside of the shuttle, the thermal protection system, which is basically everything on the skin, uh, wasn't, you know, was on there solid and tight, and it was, everything was put together close, you know, within design tolerances, and so it stayed nice, kept the aluminum structure on the inside nice and cool. So, so the shuttle's made up of these like thick tiles, right, on the bottom. Yeah, they're. Um, it's really it's it's interesting, and for, there are some exceptions for the materials used, but widely there's two different materials. On the bottom, everything you see that's black on TV, there's uh, it's made up primarily of six by six tiles. Um, they're about two inches thick. They range. Sometimes they go much thinner on the top where it's less hot, and then up in the front where it's you know extremely uh, hot on reentry, um, about three inches thick. And it's made of the silica material. It's incredibly light. It's incredibly uh, you know thermally resistant, um, not so much impact resistant, which means that it needs to be repaired quite often. Um, you know, every time it comes back, there's all kinds of little divots and holes on the back of the shuttle that need to be repaired. Right. Um, you know, get it back up to specification so it can fly up and do its job again. 
Um, and then everything on the top. And this this was I remember the first time I saw this distinctly because I, I was on my interview there and I went to look at the space shuttle and I knew the top was white and I knew that it got way too hot for you know a typical metal to be there and I I didn't know what that white material was it it didn't didn't make sense to me and you see it on TV and it's just kind of this white sheen on top this this amorphous you know, material and you get up close and it's, it's this sticky plushy uh, paint covered felt and Whoa. these blankets it's it's weird the top of the space shuttle is actually soft that's crazy it's strange and every once in a while we'd have to go on the top to look at like rips and tears and you put these little booties on and take your <laughs> shoes off and you go on you kind of walk and, and and you don't you don't really do it because people are watching you and you're supposed to be you know a fine upstanding technically minded person but you bounce a little bit on the balls <laughs> of your foot because it's a little little squishy wow that is that is that is crazy. I would never have thought that. I always thought it was just like a solid like shell. It, exactly. You don't know what it is, but you don't think it's like a baby blanket. That's nice. Um, it's, it's a very special baby blanket. But yeah. It's, it's, it's squishy. It's cool. And you you did what was the other thing you'd do? You'd spend a lot of time like melting. Well, <laughs> yeah. It, things. It's hard to get them to melt. Actually, the um, it was it was very challenging. Um, but the other half of my day, I went across the street and I was one of the process engineers um, in the f- little factory where all the technicians go and they make real life size replacements for everything that they take off the vehicle. It has to fit exactly in the same hole. And if you think you've got twenty four thousand tiles that are constantly being replaced, like this design has become this weird organic thing that has to match like it, it matches the design and it mat you know this 30 year old piece of paper but it's slightly different and you have to kind of re-engineer every part as it comes off and it's put back on it's this really arduous and necessarily tedious process <laughs> um but it's really cool because they take molds of the hole and they this guy goes back and he makes this little silica block and coats it and it's you've got this new space shuttle tile and usually it fits perfectly and you have to occasionally it doesn't fit perfectly and then you have to go change it or uh-huh. fix it um so i spent the other half of my time doing which is kind of what led me here okay um, that's the the process control and the factory control and right. again working in the hardware department kind of so lends itself you were an engineer that. you worked in the space program, and then how do you get to harmonics making games? Um, I see. When was it? It was. I remember I was on the website, and I was um, adding some contru- constructive criticism over <laughs> the um, Wii version of Rock Band. Right, it released. Um, playing armchair uh, developer. Okay. Um, so I, I really, I still read the forums uh, quite a bit. And what's I'm, your uh, handle? Um, I'm HMX Tronaut. Uh, appro- appropriately, Extranaut. yeah, harmonic stranaut or something, however you want to <laughs> pronounce it. Um, I only have a couple posts. I usually lurk in the the tech support forums and the rock band forums. Um, you know, picking up some tech. You know, just trying to get the feel of how the instruments and peripherals are performing out in the world and cool. see what people are looking for and what they f- feel is important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was I was, you know, providing harmonics with some constructive criticism about the rock band one. Uh, release on the Wii, and um, I noticed that they had an opening for a quality control engineer, and I thought, well, that's kind of close to what I do, and I, uh, you know, applied on a Sunday afternoon, kind of on a whim. I, you know, I knew I loved ever since I was a little boy, and I'm 
kind of just went off on a tangent here, but <laughs> run with me. Tangents you know, me. ever since I, w- I was a little kid, I loved video games and I loved um, the space shuttle and science and things. And, mm-hmm. and, every, and basically my college experience consisted of uh, playing frequency and uh, explaining to people, people what a material scientist does or would hope to do in the future. It's my uh, college degree. And I would always explain to them outside of uh, parties in college, you know, sitting on the porch talking. That's where you have, you know, good, yeah. good field times. Three pro down. Yeah. Um, be like, well, I just basically want to melt space shuttle tiles for a living. So I knew I liked two things. I liked melting space shuttle tiles, and I liked the idea of making video games. And I thought, well, the video game door is pretty much closed. Um, you know, since I got a materials, like it's a physical degree, no, no one really needs that. Um, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to get a job in the games industry doing that. And there I was on Harmon- you know, Har- the Harmonix website. I loved all of the games that they've ever made, uh, per- yes, that I had played. Um, some of them, I, you know, like wait, you know, the acts and things. I even loved the, Dis- the Disney installations they made in, in Epcot Center. I loved them. I didn't know they made them at the time. But, cool, you know, yeah. You can go back and be like, oh, I remember that thing. That was cool. <laughs> um, so anyways, I just saw this QC management position, and I wrote, whipped up a quick resume, and I knew the space shuttle program was ending. Um, it's a whole other podcast topic. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to go you know, get out while the getting was good, find something that was kind of equally of interest to me, and then I, I went on the complete opposite of the social responsibility spectrum and went from <laughs> maintaining the nation's superiority in uh, space flight to maintaining the nation's superiority in rhythm, rhythm gaming. Yes. So what are your actual job duties here in our hardware department? Um, I'm a technical quality engineer. Um, I manage a lot of the technical specifications for, for things that we build, um, make sure that the design is you know right the first time so when we take it to when we take it to China to get manufactured, we don't have too many design iterations. When we get prototypes back, hopefully they work with the game. Um, so like with the RB2 Strat versus the RB1 Strat, you had to mm-hmm. kind of work with China to make sure uh, it's got the, new, the newer strum bar, it's got the different buttons, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the auto-calibrate, that, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, basically improving new features like auto-calibration is a perfect example. And that, that one was before my time, but there's a new specification we sent out, and we have to make sure that the software guys know what the, the guys in China who are actually doing the PCBs are up to. So everything kind of mash, meshes together when you plug it in for the first time. Um, occasionally it goes right. <laughs> it's good. No, it definitely keeps us employed doing all kinds of iterations of right. things. So uh, an iteration, just for those listening, is mm-hmm. that when you do one time through, mm-hmm. things need to be changed, you do it another yeah. time, fix those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the other bit of work that we do is um, we go to China to... Uh, inspect the factories, kind of work with them, make last-minute changes on the line, say, hey, no, that button's slightly too big, or let's change the color of that to, uh, um, you know, kind of things like that. Adjust the graphic on the Hoffner about two degrees (laughs) because the wood grain doesn't match up with the the fake wood grain of the body, doesn't match up with the fake wood grain of the neck. Um, It's really challenging. It's tiring. It's a 12-hour time difference. that's going to be so. Do you work through a translator then when you go to the the uh, factories? 
it sort of um, pretty much everyone in a project management role at a factory in China speaks some rudimentary English yeah. um, and you kind of learn to communicate it's very challenging and especially um, me I come from kind of this other background where I over engineer everything and it's, <laughs> it's difficult for me to take a step back and communicate with people who um, aren't speaking my language natively yeah um, it's a real challenge but yeah, we you know we work with them occasionally. There's a translator, um, you know, outside of the factory though. That's it's pretty much just us on our own. It's cool. It's cool. So, any advice to people looking to get into the industry? To the industry, well, yeah, which is a broad, broad yeah. range of jobs. I know you always see, you always hear um, you know or a couple people. I think Teasdale said that he didn't he didn't finish college and you shouldn't finish. He didn't <laughs> recommend not finishing college, but um, you know he always says that I just started making games and I I, I feel that you should pursue science and technology like do math. Yeah. Um, you know, in school and, and college and, and really open up as many doors for yourself as possible because, you know, I'm a perfect perfect bit of anecdotal evidence that if you know as much as possible, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and, uh, you know, calculus allowed me to pretty much do whatever I want. And there it's cool. I've, I've, I'm living the 13-year-old dream. I've worked on the space program. I've made video games for a living. I don't know what I'm going to, you know, do, do next. If this ever ends, right, um, probably be a senator. You know, that's, that's the next thing you get to do. But you know, stay in, you know stay in school and take those really hard math classes because if anything else, you'll learn how to do things right. Um, yeah, I think that's how Obama got to where he is. He started in the Na in NASA mm -hmm. and then he worked in mm -hmm. video games and then it's a natural progression. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Jim, thanks a ton. No uh, problem. Super interesting. I hope people uh, enjoyed it. And, uh, no, it would be totally cool. I, I know everyone loves that detail Q and A yeah. about the about the software. We do make some intentional decisions. That is a tasty burger, giving you a free sixteen, and then I murk you. Capital is free, I'll be, and when I serve, I'm exploiting the speakers and making it brain. Thank you. Thanks. You want to get Do not adjust your TV set And we ain't got nothing But they still keep coming We ain't got nothing But they still keep coming Where do you show And you lose a bet Let's go Talent got no limits Like any time minutes And any rhyme Thanks, We bring it for sure That's more minutes We ain't let We ain't just got Kids okay. like Christmas I still think they're Yeah, I'm about to have it I'm just Kind of a long drive But we made it. We made it here plenty of time to, you know, kind of relax a little bit. Wait, waking up at seven, sometimes these rough ones, hung over heavy metal dudes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're doing a cannibal course. Of course, we're going to party a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So. Awesome. Awesome, guys. So, uh, all right. So, let's get let's get down to business first. Uh, Rock Band Network. You guys yeah. got a song out on there right Hell now. Yeah. We do. Which, which song is that again? It's, uh, go ahead, Scott. Oh, oh it's called Crush Beyond Dust. And it's off of our uh, newest album, uh, Breathing the Fire, which is out on Prosthetic Records. So how did that? Uh, how did you guys get that to happen? Um, how involved were you guys? Uh, well, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly how it initially got started, but they at, at one point we just we got asked like the label guy said, hey, we talked to the the people at the Rock Band Network. They want to put this song in there. Are you guys cool with it? And, and so, essentially, we you know kind of came to us, and we were yeah. just like, it was for, up to us to give the okay or not. And yeah, like, yeah, let's oh, do yeah. it. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not sure who did the inner workings there, um, <laughs> but we're happy to be on it. Like, it's awesome. Absolutely. You guys, uh, are you, have you guys played the game? Are you guys... I have played the game uh, briefly, and uh, I think I played a Nirvana song at Walmart when it first came <laughs> at out. At Walmart. You know, when they have the display ones, like, check out this game, and I was like, I'll check out this what? game. I used to know how to play some Nirvana songs. But Evan, Evan, our bass player, actually has it, and he's, he's uh, downloaded our song and played it. And, uh, uh, One second, buddy. Yep, he, he downloaded it, he's played it and stuff. I actually haven't played it yet because I don't have... I don't have a gaming system. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know that's, that's bad, cool. but yeah. I think uh, I think that I would be real bad at it. I've like watched some videos of people playing oh, on the internet, and I'm like, uh, oh, sadly, I know I, can't, I couldn't even play your own song. I know when I <laughs> when I actually do get to play it when we get home from the road, I'm gonna be terrible at it. I'm not even gonna be able to play our so own. So you damn guys song. haven't haven't played your own song yet. Uh, no. I think Evan it has. Is Evan, hard. did you play our song? On? No, I had a, I saw a friend do it. <laughs> it is yeah, hard like, as balls, man. Well, I, is it? I, I actually I made a comment that he was playing it better than I do. <laughs> That's my quote. Yeah. All right. What's up, everybody? It's Mexico here for another social segment. I'm here Casey, hello, HMX Rums, Yo. from our web team, uh, new to the podcast. Um, so we did something cool within the last week that we figured we'd chat about. Um, every year in Boston, there's an awesome group of people that put on the Independent Film Festival of Boston, and that happened. And for the eighth f- annual, right? Yeah, the eighth. eighth one. In the last few years, we've actually helped out too in our own way. We usually do a rock band set up of some sort with them and uh it's always a really good time so we did that and we caught a bunch of really cool movies so i figured we'd chat about that did i uh did i tell you the story about the time i was one of the volunteers playing at the event no oh well uh i uh i dropped out of a few different film schools and uh i think it was two years ago i was volunteering with us at the event and uh sort of helping out and volunteering at these things usually just means playing rock band for a long time and getting other people to play rock band. Yeah. So we were up in the filmmakers lounge playing rock band um, and just like trying to get people in the lounge to like come up and play. I was like, hey man, do you want to play? And this kid was like, Casey? I was like, yes. He's like, it's me, it's Jet. I have a film in the, in the, in the program. And it was a kid I went to film school. Was it Jet Li? Yeah, it was Jet Li. Oh my God. <laughs> you looked you, great. <laughs> you sure you didn't go to Kung Fu school? Uh, I did. I did oh. go to Kung Fu school. Oh. Kung Sorry, Fu go on with your story about um, Jet Li. So, <laughs> so are, you, are you compelled to make up an excuse as to why you're there Well, that's what. that's exactly what happened. Is that He was like, yeah, you know, I went to film school and now I'm making independent film. And I was like... <laughs> I, I made this game. I made it. Like, it was like suddenly very important to me that he know that I made it and I wasn't just like a member of the street team. <laughs> like, you know. Right. That you were the auteur of that game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you or, should have just like handed him the display copy and said, you've got like 10 more of these at home. <laughs> Take this big screen TV too. Yeah. That's funny. Thank you. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> So you went to you went to film school, you said. Yeah, I did. I uh, one of the 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 nicest one I dropped out of was the uh, the College of Santa Fe in New Mexico, where they filmed all the pretty horses. Yeah. And City Slickers too. <laughs> the, the Legend, Legend of, of Curly's, Curly's Gold. Gold. Yes. <laughs> nice. 
Uh, I didn't go to film school myself, but I studied it, and I also ended up doing something completely different from <laughs> from my education. Right on. But yeah. I haven't had a run-in like that with an old school buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, we're we're still compelled to see as many films at this festival as we can. We yeah. still love it. Yeah. Speaking of which, how many movies did you guys see? Oh man! All right, eight or, eight or nine for me, I think. Yeah, you probably maybe saw a few more than me. So, first night was the new Kevin Klein movie directed by the people who directed American Splendor. That the was extra called man. The Extra Man. The Extra Man. That was that was really fantastic. Good. Yeah, it was really funny. Um, Paul Dano was really funny in it. Kevin Klein. Was, Kevin, Kevin Klein, Klein. Unbelievable. Yeah. The yeah. funniest thing he's done since A Fish Called Wanda, I think. I agree. I would agree with that. I would not disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, that's one and a half agreements, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Klein was in attendance at the screening. They gave him a Career Achievement Award, which I think is what they do when they want a big name to come. <laughs> that's what I'm suspicious of. I don't yeah. really know the motivation behind it. But I like mean, that's you, what he was joking about the whole time, too. Right. Like, well, like you said earlier, this is the eighth year the festival has happened, and the second time they've given that, yeah. that award. I don't know who the first one was for, but you would think they would have something like this every year to kind of encourage some talent, too. Did they give it to Ben Kingsley? He came two years ago for his movie. That's right. Was that for the... Uh... It was about a train. Trans-Siberian was the name of it. But I don't, I don't remember if he got an award. I don't remember either. But, um... But, nevertheless... Sure it wasn't for Blood Rain. Yeah, it was for Blood <laughs> Is he in that? I think he's No, I think it was the... Or was the, uh, the Jason Dragons. Statham one? <laughs> yeah, Boy, Dragon Dungeon In the name of the king. Dungeon Siege in the name of the king. <laughs> Uh, our QA director, Luke Jacobs, swears by that movie. <laughs> he, he says it's like the best movie he's ever seen. Uh. <laughs> um, but no, his uh, Q&A was really funny. Like, he's a super witty, smart, funny guy. Uh, so that was cool. Um, he was also, well, like, what? It, sorry, go ahead. He also seems really aware of his own um, appeal to audiences. So he's kind of like playing up this loopy, eccentric old guy yep. a little bit. Playing up that, that which was the, the character he kind yeah. of played in the movie. Mm-hmm. Played that up. Sort of a game. jerk. Yeah. So what'd you guys think of the movie? Like, I liked it. I, I liked it. it. I didn't, um, I didn't think it was beyond awesome, but you know, it's a great opening night festival mm-hmm. film because it's something that's going to appeal to an array of audiences. Yeah. And it's a comedy like trans Siberian was the, opening film I think it was two years ago two I don't think it was last year. year I can't remember which one but that that's sort of like a more of a suspenseful movie so that was like, great. It, yeah. like the crowd sitting there watching it silently whereas the extra man like people were laughing at it. last yeah. year it was last year the opening movie was the uh, the brothers bloom that's right oh, which yeah. was another sort of light quirky comedy so that was like that I thought thematically fit yeah um I thought the like yeah I thought the movie was good I thought Kevin Klein was like sort of unbelievable doing like basically doing a Paul F Tompkins character (laughs) character for like an hour and a half yeah the super fancy man Um, (laughs) and uh, John C Riley was in it in this bizarre performance (laughs) yeah that's Um, what that's what didn't really sit so well with me with that film because he. He was so ridiculous yeah and he doesn't he seems like he's acting in the movie you don't really believe that character. At all, and that yep. voice kind of graded on me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, this movie sort of exemplified a, a, a problem I had with a few of the narrative features, where it was like dipped into like Wes Anderson imitation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are we Definitely. still doing this? Yeah. Yep. So and you're so, you're referring to Macho Tail Drop in particular. <laughs> oh yeah, Macho Tail Drop. Which like let us we're going to tell you we're going to tell you about this. Yeah, Macho Tail Drop was the midnight movie at this year's festival. Um, 
How would you guys even begin to describe Macho Tail Drop? My my stock description of this movie is take Napoleon Dynamite, take the style of Napoleon Dynamite, um, and make Napoleon Dynamite a skateboarder, cast an actual skateboarder in the role, not an actor, and then that skateboarder in the movie goes to skateboarding Hogwarts. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna interject. It's like a cross between Napoleon Dynamite and Harry Potter because yeah. he's, he goes into the, like this mystical place to yeah. to enhance his craft or whatever. I don't know, but it's definitely very much like that. Yeah, and it was probably one of, if not the weirdest, like movie I've seen. Definitely the weirdest like American movie. I've yeah, seen. I can think of weirder like. Although, you know, it comes out next week. <laughs> Human Centipede. Human Centipede, yeah. first segment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, you follow, if you follow me on Twitter, you know my affinity for the idea of Human Centipede. I don't know if it's going to... I We just read a review that it's really boring and dull, which is too bad. Oh, that's too bad, but, yeah. Uh, Pope, uh, was, uh, Pope was trying to talk me out of going to see Iron Man 2 <laughs> so that we could instead go see the Human Centipede <laughs> opening night. <laughs> We won't get into what the, the, the plot is. Yeah. Look it up. Or you um, could easily turn that into a double feature, though. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it was one of the weirder Western movies I've ever seen where, like, they, yeah. like it, it existed in this world, and this is kind of one of the things I liked about it. It existed in this world where, like, skateboarding was, like, the biggest thing. It was, like, the most important yep. thing. So, of course, this, like, skate company that just, like, they made it real clear in the movie. They were just sort of in the business of, like, getting these skateboarders and like making shirts and boards out of them mm-hmm. like but and they busts had for yeah, some busts. yeah they were obsessed with busts <laughs> but they had like they had their own channel on tv and they like flew planes all the time that said like buy macho tail drop and it was it was like a neat world to visit but like the plot was so it was bizarre. so weird and, and it, we were yeah it was, it was it was, <laughs> so it was a midnight movie um and um we were very tired for our own different reasons Maybe we had, uh, we're adults. Maybe we had <laughs> alcohol <laughs> references. Yes. Let's just say that. I don't know what the rules are for podcasts anymore. Well, let, let me ask you guys a question. Like, if that movie was a cartoon, would you still consider it, like, frustratingly opaque? Hard to interpret? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, like, it was extremely cartoonish as it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, my tolerance for sort of, like, weird storytelling is actually much lower yeah. for cartoons personally um, uh, which is one reason why I have a hard time connecting to a lot of anime mm-hmm. yeah. where the plot was very like disjointed and sort of like expressionistic rather than actually like trying to tell a story mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I like this movie a lot more than you guys because well for one I saw so many festival films that sort of sort of like the narrative films and the nonfiction films they sort of like belong to these these categories and I see a lot of festival films that that are kind of like generalized narrative features for lack of a better way of putting yep. it or generalized nonfiction features and Monster Hotel Drop was just so off the wall resists cate- categorization so well that I kind of like it for that reason alone but yeah. I don't think I can interpret it any better than you guys <laughs> um, yeah I saw did you guys see Cyrus did I not. saw that, yeah. So the reason I, I didn't get to see Cyrus, uh, I was working at the filmmakers' meet and greet. We had rock bands set up in a screening room, um, which is really cool. So in previous years, we'd had like the we'd had rock bands set up in the lounge like for the entire length of the festival, and you know a lot of filmmakers are not game players and 
we we sometimes wouldn't have very much participation so this year we just did like one shot thing at the meet and greet where people are eating beer eating beer drinking beer and eating pizza and it was a lot of fun yes oh sorry uh i just remember the the year i volunteered the one filmmaker who was like really really excited to hang out and play rock band she was actually a subject in a documentary rather was the woman who runs a harry potter fan site and she was in the We Are Wizards documentary about Wizard Rock. And she yeah, played Harry with us for like an hour. Uh, oh, man. The Leaky Cauldron. She ran the Leaky Cauldron. <laughs> Shout she, out. She was like super excited to play with us. And that was awesome. But other than that, yeah, it's like mostly people going like, oh, it's just a yeah. video game. So this was good because um, as the listeners maybe know, in a par- rock band really thrives in a party environment. And this was definitely more of a party environment than just like the lounge where you go while you're waiting for your movie to screen. Um, so we had a lot of people playing, a lot of Lady Gaga, a lot of, it was funny, there was sort of a battle between, like, one, one group in the theater wanting to do, like, modern stuff, like Lady Gaga, and then this other guy who only wanted to do 60s stuff, so we, we, we literally went from, uh, Bad Romance, and everyone's, like, into it, it's like, oh, this is so much fun! to uh, Simon and Garfunkel's Sounds of Silence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, like, everyone just, like, everyone's faces just dropped, and it was just like... I mean, that's a great song, don't get me wrong, but energy-wise... It's not a dance party Everyone just, that. like, crying, and... <laughs> it was it was pretty hilarious. But um, the big thing from that for me was I got to meet uh, Saul Starr from Deadwood. What's, his, uh, what's the name of the actor? John Hawks. Oh, there we go. John I didn't Hawks. think you were going to remember. <laughs> uh, he played Saul Star on the amazing HBO show Deadwood. Also, uh, he is in um, Eastbound and Down. He plays the brother. Uh, he's also been in Lost. He was Lennon, Lennon on Lost. Lennon, for, this season of Lost. They never say that name, so you really? only know that if you're like a <laughs> dork like me and spend all your time on Lost. Yeah. Um, uh, but that was huge for me because uh, I've become a really big Deadwood fan. Uh, my wife and I both, and my wife was there, and we just sort of ran up to him. My wife ran up to him because she doesn't, she doesn't have a barrier, so she's <laughs> like, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you! And uh, he was super cool and, and very down-to-earth. I was uh, jealous. And it, was a, it was a fun time. Uh, for all the nerds in the audience, I, uh, I was standing near Amber Benson for a little while. I saw that name a lot. Who is Amber Benson? Amber Benson was uh, Willow's... Willow's uh, lesbian lover on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I thought you were talking about Willow the movie. No, sorry, dude. Um, <laughs> Mad Mardigan. It was Mad Mardigan. And since then, she's like, at, she was on Buffy for a few years, and like, since then, she's sort of like really come into her own as a like a writer, and uh, I think she may have directed she was this definitely, movie, yeah. Drones, but she oh, may have just written it. But she was there for a new movie called Drones, which I unfortunately didn't get to see. Yeah. But uh, I thought the, like... Like the time I got to play Beatles rock band with Felicia Day, it was a real, real good. Yeah, you're really, moment. you're really rounding out your like <laughs> Joss Whedon ladies. Yeah. Um, did you see the Joan Rivers documentary? No, I missed that one. I'm not a a fan of Joan Rivers at all, but yeah. I heard the documentary is fantastic. Yeah, I saw it with Navarro, who has sadly departed from us. Uh, he's alive. He's alive, guys. Oh, oh my God! Just not with harmonics anymore, sadly. Um, but we went and saw the Joan Rivers documentary and it was, it was just fat, like, you could not care about her at all, but the, as a story and like, as a documentary is really good. Um, the only, the only, uh, tidbit about that that I'll share is, uh, a lot of it involves how driven she is and like, she has this jewelry, jewelry line and in the movie they keep making references to her having to go to QVC to sell her jewelry 
And Alex and Navarro and I both uh, were on that trip to QVC this past summer to sell the Beatles rock band where we were on at two in the morning, three in the morning on QVC. And in the dressing room next to us was Joan Rivers. And <laughs> you should link to the picture. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tweeted the picture again, but yeah. Um, so we got to meet her. She was watching herself on the Comedy Central roast, uh, which is also part of the documentary. She hated, she apparently hated the roast, like, because she's really sensitive, even Aww. though it puts up a big front. But I thought those, that was those interesting, roasts, like, tied us into the whole thing. Those roasts are awful. Yeah. Other highlights for you? Um, I saw, well, I saw 18 films total, and I saw <laughs> among those. Wow. Well, you guys got to understand, like, I went there every day and, like, maximized yeah. my viewing totally. And I'd say I saw three films that I thought were great and I'd, I'd want to see again. One of them was... The Todd Salons, Salons film. I don't know how to pronounce his I name. I think it's Salons. Salons, the pseudo sequel to Happiness: Life During Wartime, which is excellent. Oh, so what, was, what were the other two that you said were great? One of them was called Putty Hill, which is oh. this indie film that was shot outside of Baltimore. That I really wasn't keen on the concept. It just happened to fit in my schedule, so I dipped into the screening and ended up really liking it. But it's um. It's the sort of film that the less you know about it and you just let it unfold in front of you, that's, that's the cool. best way to experience it. But it's the the way it's shot is outstanding for one, and it just has this really this really somber tone. It's sort of like a, a mystery. It's sort of like Twin Peaks without any characters, if that makes sense, because it has this you know it's got the same so score. So premonitions. Well, <laughs> it's not exactly primitive. When you say word. when you say no characters, you mean no like larger than life characters. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it has like people in the movie, but for the but most no part, no one's like a log lady, right? <laughs> and you don't know any of the characters' names, and oh. for the most part, they're filmed from like medium shots or something. So you're kind of figuring out what's going on, and it takes maybe ten or fifteen minutes, but it compels you to like it engages you for the in the entire duration of the film. So in other words, it's one of the least boring movies I saw. Sweet. Cool. Well, what, what was the third movie? The third movie was Down Terrace, which is a a British film. I'm not exactly sure where it was shot, but it looks like um, northwestern UK or something like that. And it's another one where it kind of throws you into the middle of the story without introducing any of the characters or contextualizing anything that's going on. And it becomes this this family that's involved with crime or the mob or something like that and it's really funny and yet really violent it's been compared a lot to the sopranos because it <laughs> emphasizes the organization of this family on on top of like how their their crime is organized how they do that professionally mm -hmm. and it's it sort of starts off as this quirky comedy and then it has these shocks of violence that are unexpected but it's it's really innovative in that regard i think i'm not that familiar with the Sopranos, but people who are fans of that tend to tend to like this film a lot. <laughs> Interesting. Um, highlight for I think both of us was Do It Again. Oh my God, Do It Again! So this was a documentary. This is a local, actually. It was made in Boston. It was about a guy who writes for the Globe, Jeff Edgers. And he's your Twitter buddy now, right? Yeah, we're friends on Twitter now, which is awesome. <laughs> I, I'm, Hi, not gonna Hi, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I was extremely jealous yeah. of that. Yeah. Jeff, if you're listening, uh, let's do a podcast. Ooh. But um, uh, Jeff Edgers writes for the Boston Globe, and the documentary was about him. He didn't make it, but he was the subject of it. And his goal was to reunite the kinks. Um, yeah, it was great. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit first about the experience of going to see this movie, <laughs> which was uh, a little... It was a, not a little. It was... 
vastly different from seeing anything else at the film festival. Yeah. Um, it was like going... Oh, sorry, go so they, the first thing they do at these film fests is they let pass holders in, and Pope and I had passes. And normally about half of the people in line go, <laughs> and they go in. But this time, pass holders were, they were like... Twelve of yeah, us, yeah, yeah. Everyone else was like these, like fifty-year-old Kinks fans who just came to the festival for this one movie. So, quick question: yeah. like before the screening, when they were introducing it, and they did they do like a show of hands if this is your first movie at the festival? Yep. Yeah. And I bet like most of the audience there, the like, vast majority, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was in the big theater, so it had to have been like what five? How many people does that fit? Like five hundred people? I, I have no, no idea. idea. I'm yeah. terrible. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that. <laughs> um, so we get in there and there's like there's like 13 of us um and so we just sit wherever we want and pope and i go for like the best seat possible and we go past this chair that has the word reserve seat on it but it's just one seat so like who would want one seat and we end up sitting in the middle of these rows and all of a sudden like people start showing up in these center rows i'm like that's that's the guy from Mission of Burma. <laughs> and we realized that, like, there are all these people who are kind of big in the Boston indie music scene, yeah. like, swarming around us, and we figure out that we are uh, in the reserved rows. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't mark the whole rows, though, just the aisle seats. So we're like, what idiot? And just like, oh, God, the microphone. We're like, what idiot needs one, one aisle one seat, seat <laughs> reserved? So um, were you guys clever, and did you kind of spend about 12 seconds like coming up with a fake band that you're both in. Oh, we should have. We were sort of like, eh, should we just risk it and stay sitting here or should we just be nice? And, and we're having this whole conversation about like, we're in reserved seats. We shouldn't be in these reserved seats. And there's a volunteer for the <laughs> film festival at three feet away watching yeah. us trying to see what we're going <laughs> to decide to do. So we eventually moved, but the, um, the audience could not have possibly been more into it. Yeah. More... It was like going to a, a kinks show. Like Almost. Were... Yeah. Vastly, the majority was like middle-aged dudes and women, like but huge Kinks fans. It wasn't like film fest fans as much. Yeah, and like every time there was like a local boss, the, the guy from the Del Fuegos was in it a lot. Um, his name escapes me right now, but like anytime like like some local Boston or like local music legend from that era came on, there was like cheers from the crowd. It was yeah. a totally wild experience. And and the movie itself was just really well. It was like. Casey and I are both huge Kings fans. I don't know about you, Rumsey, but um, so-so, yeah. Uh, and it puts you in the seat of this, you know, this huge Kings fan trying to reunite one of his favorite bands, uh, and you'd go on the journey with him. So it's like, it was it was so cool. And I think like anyone who's a fan of any band that's broken up can totally relate. Uh, but like he goes a lot of places. Like he gets interviews with Sting, gets interviews with um, Yoko Ono, Paul Weller, yeah. Um, Super, it, was, it was really good. The and, music was really good. Yeah, it was this, uh, this like, beautiful story about, like, you know, the Kinks is about... The, the real reason the Kinks broke up is, like, Ray Davies and Dave Davies, these two brothers who, like, hate each other now. Yeah. And the movie was, like, really about family. And apparently like, hated each other, like, from the beginning. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So can you can you guys answer this without ruining the movie? Like, uh -huh. where does, where does, where does the, the reunion of the Kinks stand at the end of this? Well, that was the interesting thing about the movie yeah. is that he didn't want to get them back to, like, everyone who's ever tried to get the Kinks back together, and he makes this point in the movie, is, like, a booker who wants them to tour, wants to make money, or, like, somebody who wants them to do their event, and he just wanted to get them in a room and play music. So, like, regardless of the end of this document, like, play one song, regardless of the end of this documentary, like, the, King, the Kinks aren't back together, yeah. but I don't want to ruin how the movie ends for yeah. people one way or the other, because it was an amazing journey. And the point at which the they 
like again this was really about this guy and his family and his life yeah and the point at which he sort of reaches the end of his like quest emotionally was like really powerful yeah because it wasn't like it wasn't a downer at all like the kinks obviously they're not reunited now but at the end of the movie it's like oh wow he's sort of he sort of moved on from this phase of his life. He learned a little something about himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was um, great. Uh, like one, like I mean, it had the benefit of, of, in my opinion, some of the best music in the world. Definitely. To help it out. But it was like a great little documentary. Unfortunately, yeah. it's only like festival screenings right now. But yeah, I think they if you go to like distribution, or yeah, do it again. The movie.com, you can <clears throat> you can check out information about that. That was amazing. Yep. Um, I saw a movie that was executive produced. By Alex and Chris Regopoulos, um, which has nothing to do with music and nothing to do with video games. Oh, 9500 Liberty. 9500 Liberty, which was a, a great documentary. Um, another one that had this intensely interesting and powerful subject, which was that uh, in Virginia, and I, I'm forgetting the name of the county right now, there was some county in Virginia where they. Uh, they enacted this law that actually Arizona enacted where. Uh, police are required to stop anyone they have probable cause of being an illegal alien and demanding documentation and um the effects it had on the community were just like compelling and fascinating like it, you know anyone who, like police were obligated to stop anyone like how do you evaluate who looks like they're from this country you can't do it so like there was all this issues with racial profiling and then pe- uh people of color were just like leaving the community and since it was such a small community that was like devastating local business and it was it was fascinating um and the the movie started out as like when they started making this documentary they decided they weren't going to wait to make it a full movie they were just going to upload clips to youtube as it happened so people were like there's a ton more stuff about this like what happened over the course of this filming on youtube and it was it was fascinating it was great a really really good movie yeah I'm not obligated to say that in any way because my boss <laughs> executive produced it. Yeah, it's it was true. Great. Alex didn't even promote it at work a- at all. Alex, a.k.a. your boyfriend? He's my boyfriend. He's <laughs> I'm going to give him back rubs. <laughs> um, I, we should start bring this to a close, but just a couple others oh. that I thought were great. Okay. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Weird. Oh, yes. is exactly what I wanted to Which all three about. of us were at. Uh, another midnight movie. This is a Korean film uh, and a Korean spaghetti western, if you can believe that, and it was I, so good. I disagree with the spaghetti western part. Really? Uh, I didn't think it, like, so it's called The Good, the Bad, and the Weird, but aside from that and, like, some western trappings, like, everything's kind of in the desert... It didn't really feel like a Western. You know, Westerns are slow and character-driven, especially, like, the the Man With No Name movies. Um, and this was, like, all about action and adventure. It was and definitely it, huge, amazing action And sequences. this guy was, like, this guy finds a map, and then he's, like, trying to get to the treasure, and everyone's chasing after him to get the map. And it felt more like a classic, like, Indiana pulp Jones. adventure, like an Indiana Jones. Yeah. So, uh, but it, there are parts of that movie that are almost identical in the way they're staged to the good, the, the bad, bad, and the ugly. ugly. Yeah, really? Like, exactly. Yep. So I'm inclined to say it. I mean, it does it does pump more action to that concept than, <laughs> than its precursor, but I think it's very much a Western more than any other job. I haven't seen that movie in years and years, so yeah. I, must, I must not have, like, seen the comparison. We'll do a viewing party. Ooh. But, uh, oh, right after so we watch, good. Right after we watch Wild, Wild Dogs and Wild Dogs. <laughs> and, and, Hog dogs. Hog dogs. Our hog dogs marathon. <laughs> hog dogs. <laughs> Coming soon, hogdogsblog.com. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, Hog Dogs vlog, so good. Bob Blah Blah would be so proud of us. Um, and then to close it out, uh, Rumsey and I saw the closing, or no, it wasn't the closing night film, sorry. Uh, Tuesday night at the ICA, the Boston Institute of Contemporary Arts, which is not a typical movie venue. Um, we saw a documentary called Marwin Call, which really, really blew me away. Yeah, me too. It's the story of this guy, again, it's a documentary, true story. It's this guy who was like severely beaten, and the way he dealt with his PTSD was he could... And like actual brain damage, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, actual brain damage. He like forgot everything about who he was beforehand. Um, and the way he dealt with this was he built a one-sixth scale... World War II era Belgian town in his backyard with tons of one six scale dolls, which one guy was him, other guy, like all the other characters were people from his life. There was the SS, they were constantly like attacking the town, and the SS represented the people who beat him up. And he had these elaborate storylines, and they're showing you photos of all these different storylines and stuff throughout the film. And then about halfway through, they reveal he's the guy who took the pictures. Mm -hmm. And these pictures are, like, so good. And he was never a professional photographer or anything. Just self-taught. He didn't even have a light meter in his camera. Um, and it's just these amazing pictures. And it's these dolls, like World War II dolls in different situations. But some of them look like stills from, from a war movie or from actually from World War II. Right. Um, and and it's we, just, we should emphasize that he he does this constantly yeah. like he gets up in the morning and like he's he, compelled to do it right it's not like a hobby he's just well like, it's it's what he does it's his it's his therapy it's his, yeah and he would he would describe it as his life i think because yeah. he's he's projecting what he wants to happen in his real life in these in this fake village but um it's interesting how his actual reality influences what happens there and vice versa yeah. but he gets up in the morning and he starts doing this and he has this toy jeep that he puts his dolls in and like pulls it with them and he says it's traveled literally over a hundred miles this little jeep he's pulled behind him and like in every waking hour he has he's like making making these little scenarios so it's not like yeah. it's not like he's making art although I, those of us who have seen this movie we appreciate the the sort of aesthetic strengths of what he's doing but it's just like this is his thing yeah. this is what he's totally obsessed with Yep, oh, it's, crazy. It, it's if and I I think they said it's got distribution. PBS is going to show it at some point, mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to get like actual like nationwide distribution and stuff. Yeah, so. and that that film in particular it won a jury award at the IFFB. It won another award at South by Southwest this year, so it's very likely that it'll pick up distribution. At some yeah, point it's so good. So if people want to look it up, they should. It's called Marwin Call. Um, check it out. Um, Iron Man Two, <laughs> boom! Explosions. Iron Man Two did Mickey not Rourke. did not not play at the Independent Film Festival in Boston. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably enough for now. I uh, hope you enjoyed this. Um, not a lot to do with video games, but whatever. Oh, I do. I do have one one sort of parting thought that sort of ties this to Rock Band. One of the films I saw early in the fest was called Takwakor, mm. the Birth of Punk Islam, which is this documentary oh. about. Islamic punk bands and there's well there's more to it too that of course but it's a fantastic movie one of the bands in the film whose name I forget is Kaminas the Kaminas they were um, they're from Boston actually and there was a Q&A after the movie with the director um, the guy Michael Muhammad Knight who wrote 
a book that inspired this movie and the Kaminas as well, who were actually late to the Q&A because they were playing rock band. <laughs> yeah, we should try that's and get funny. Rock band I, so I was talking to them at the, the, the lounge because that was the night that I was there. And yeah, no, I told them about Rock Band Network. They sounded super interested. And one of the guys in the Kaminas, I can't remember uh, what instrument he plays, but he talked to me for a good, I can understand why they're late, because he talked to me for a good 20 minutes straight while I'm trying to set up Rock Band about his game ideas. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Was I mean, so... I hate it when people do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, so, so elaborate and so detailed. Like How much like Grand Theft Auto was it? It was very much like Grand Theft Auto. I was just going to say... I've heard a lot of game ideas. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, think Grand Theft Auto. And then it... No, uh, but those guys are awesome. I hope they check out RBN. Um, I hope uh, you guys check out RBN. Yeah, you guys should check out RBN too. But um, yeah, super cool. And we continue to do tons of really cool stuff with IFF Boston. So they have this festival once a year, but the the people who run it run, like, the movie theaters, the independent movie theaters in Boston. Coolidge and the Brattle. So, like, we just put up a video last week of this thing we did in November where we showed A Hard Day's Night uh, on film, and then we people played Beatles Rock Band. and um, With a bunch of harmonixers, right? Yeah, yep. Um, so we're, we're, we're always looking to do cool stuff with them. We actually have... Some super cool plans for the summer of something we want to do with them, but I won't say because it's so far off. Maybe it won't pan out, but um, something you would love, um, Casey. Robocop? <laughs> yeah. Are we going to watch Robocop? We're going to watch Robocop. <laughs> no, but um, something super cool that may or may not happen. But but uh, big shout out to Nancy and Brian of the IFF and Dan. True. Dan's super yeah, cool, they, too. Didn't great job. Go. You guys should all come next year. Come from far off lands. Yeah. Watch movies with us. Uh, and thanks for listening. Hey, um, I am a big fan of your game, Rock Band 2, and I was just going to say, good job making it. Thanks. It's the DLC Roundtable! Yay! Yay! <laughs> and it's Cinco de Mayo! Yay! As we're recording this. So we're celebrating by releasing um, a Judas Priest LP. British so this week we've got British Steel Live, which Muy includes bueno. yeah, Breaking the Law, Grinder, Living After Midnight, Metal Gods, Rapid Fire, Steeler, The Rage, United, and you don't have to be old to be wise. So um, am I the only one who was introduced by Judas to Judas Priest by Beavis and Butthead? Nope, I was, no, too. I was too. Nice, yeah, probably, probably yeah, a safe, yeah. safe bet. In our in our age group, that's a safe bet. Yeah, cool. That's all I got. And I think that's a, that's another great thing about this album uh, because Judas Priest is appropriate for all ages. Oh yeah, um, totally. I think uh, I think Painkiller is probably one of the most accessible songs we have in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. Great for kids. Yep. Yeah. Uh, beginners, first timers. You'll definitely get all these tracks on your Lego Rock Band. Yep. Yeah. Not. <laughs> Speaking of, of age appropriate. <laughs> when I was when I was a little kid, um, I used to love going to visit my uncle Mark because my parents and him would always go hang out with his best friends, this couple, the Hogans, and the Hogans had two sons who were probably about she's talking years about older Hulk than me. Hogan. Okay, yeah, now I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> Be interested. Pretend it's Hulk Hogan. Pretend it's all of these. Um, but their sons, you know, I was like maybe six or seven, and it was like the. The eighties, early nineties, and they list all they listened to was like was like crazy metal stuff, and they were much older than me. And I used to 
love as a kid going to babysit them because like I got to listen to Scorpions and Faith No More and Judas Priest wow. and all this stuff and my parents would come home and I'd be like singing really not age appropriate stuff like Breaking the Law. Nice. Um, and they, they always wondered how it was that, you know, two people who were really into like disco and Earth, Wind and Fire and the Almond Brothers ended up with a kid who liked heavy metal. Rob Halford is able to do that to people. Like he he's got that direct line to the the metal uh, portion of your brain, like whatever part of your brain. I think it's the left hand side that controls your the metal. Obligata. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The hypothalamus. That's it, right? Yep, one of those. Yes. The amygdala. Uh, <laughs> those are all metal related uh, parts of your brain. Science with the community team. You're welcome. Should we do a quick recap of what we what came out, um, what came out in the store this week? Show. Sure. So this week in the store we had uh, a bunch of no doubt tracks. Um, Different people ended on this. Happy now. Hey you. Sixteen. The climb. Tragic kingdom. World go round. You can do it. And we had Orianthes according to you and picture me broken. Dearest, I'm so sorry. Yeah. No doubt. Very similar to Judas Priest. Yeah, yeah, exactly similar. Um, so now people can have the entire Tragic Kingdom album because the um, hot singles were released before, and hot. these were the deep cuts, if you will. Awesome. If you will. Excellent. If you I will. will. If you will. Pope, what does Nick Chester think of all this? Um, he thinks that... Wow. Oh. I don't think we can put that in a podcast. <laughs> no. You <laughs> asked. Wait, now, now I have to edit the podcast. Just edit that. over it and say, Nick Chester thinks unicorns are great. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. a nice cheesy little Well, guys, you've just finished listening to episode 16 of the Harmonics Community Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you all have a great weekend. Remember, you can get us anytime by leaving a voicemail on Skype, hmx.mailbox, hitting us up on Spotify, Spring or following any of us on Twitter. See you later. So guys, what are you getting for lunch on Cinco de Mayo today? Burrito! Burritos. A jarrito? What's that? Oh my god. It's, it's like a combination sense. between a taquito and a Jar. chorito. Oh. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> Where are you guys getting burritos from? Anna's Taqueria. Yes. Wow. Are you walking all the way down to MIT for it? We're going to a thing in Davis. Yeah, we gotta go check out a place. See a man about a horse. (laughs) And a burrito. I think I'm gonna go to the store and buy groceries and get ingredients to make homemade nachos here at work. Nice. I'm gonna eat a turkey sandwich. Kyle is boring. Are we done with this now? (laughs) I am. I think we're done with this. Yeah.